0: Welcome to the same podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. I was going to share in just a couple moments but before we do that I'm just going to read from the passage today which is Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 19. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 19 and the words hopefully should come up on the walls behind me as well. I'm just going to read before Al comes up and shares with us. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 19 says this, that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John, and Peter said, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who had been sitting begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power or godliness that we made this man to walk? The God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this, his Messiah, would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord.
1: Fantastic. Welcome again to those of you watching online. Today's message is called the Repentance Revolution. The Repentance Revolution. And I'm really excited to preach to you tonight because I've been um, uh, praying and and thinking and and reading and and, and just sort of sitting with this message for a while, but I've just sensed God speak to me about the need for us as a church community to to connect again with the the kind of reset button that is repentance, to, to make space for God to kind of refresh us and heal us in our lives. What is repentance? Well, it's kind of this outdated concept and when did you last talk about repentance it's one of those words like what what repentance revolution what is that repentance simply just means saying sorry to god oxford english dictionary i looked this up look at this definition it says this repentance is the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. Each person who turns to God in genuine repentance of faith will be saved. The Oxford English Dictionary is preaching the gospel. In other words, when you repent, you you turn to God and and, and you make your life right with him, make it new. You turn away from the stuff that you know is wrong and you commit to living God's way. And so repentance means saying sorry on like a regular basis to God. And the more I've been reading, the more I've been studying, the more I'm convinced that when we learn how to do this, God does something remarkable in us and through us in Jesus' name. So I'd love us to begin with a word of prayer. Why don't you just close your eyes and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. You know, preaching is not a a kind of a TED talk. Uh, It's not anything that we do in our own strength. It's actually listening that happens when we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. So right now... Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us so much. And thank you that you love us too much to leave us the way we are. You wanna transform us with your love. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would help us to connect again with you in a powerful way, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question tonight. What is your breakup song? I mean, I assume you have one, right? I mean, what is your like breakup song? Maybe you're a believer, and, and um, it's Justin Bieber. Maybe it's like "Sorry." Is it too late now to say "Sorry"? Is that anybody? No. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. No Justin Bieber fans here tonight. Okay, maybe Adele. Maybe Adele is like your go- Adele is always good for a breakup song, right? You know, Justin Bieber, sorry, went straight to number one. Adele maybe saw it and thought, I'm going to write a lot of songs about heartbreak. Any one of her songs could be a good breakup song. But let's take, hello. Do you know one? Hello. I don't, feel, I don't feel at all confident. I don't feel at all confident tonight, okay? Hello, let me quote. Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I am sorry for everything that I've done. Straight to number one like straight to number one. Maybe it's like a thing, if you want to write a song that goes straight to number one, make it a breakup song. Make it like an I'm sorry song. I remember my first breakup song. Uh, I'd been dating a girl in my first term at university and I, I really liked her she was called Liv we broke up after three weeks and I sat at the traffic lights in my car tears and snot rolling down my face and this lady pulled up in the car next to me this old lady I'll never forget she leant over and looked over in her window and she was like I feel your pain like this I could see how had the stereo up really loud I was like snot crying you know my life is never going to be okay and okay 25 Five years later, Liv and I are married, it's all okay. I had a happy ending, uh, but um, I think it was Cher if I could turn back time. I bet that, it's a long time ago, right? Trust me, these things come around, they'll be back in fashion any day, okay? And these songs like they hit a nerve in our lives because we all make mistakes. Life isn't perfect. We go through these moments of heartache where we get hurt, we hurt people. And I know that in my life, the word sorry, as Elton John says, sorry seems to be the hardest word. You know, if you talk to my wife, Liv, she'll explain to you that I'm really good at apologies. If they're like, sorry, not sorry, apologies. Do you ever do that? Like, you know, I'm sorry that you feel offended by what I've said. Uh, Some of you guys do this, right? I'm sorry that you, right, dot, dot, dot. Don't tell me you don't do that. Like, I'm sorry that you have taken offense at my behavior. It's clearly a problem that you have. In fact, you should really be apologizing to me, right? Is that just me? Anyone can relate to that? And as a culture, we're like terrified of the word sorry. Like politicians, right? Find it really hard to say the S word. Or like, um, I don't know, like if you take like, like driving. If you drive, and you have like a prang in your car, like you crash or you bump into someone and everyone gets out of the car, they say the one thing you shouldn't say is, oh, I'm so sorry. This happened to me and I was like, everything in me, I'm so British. Everything's like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that the the weather's not great today. Like I'm always wanting to say sorry, but apparently it's not an okay thing to do culturally because it admits somehow that we are responsible. And even when we're challenged, When it's like, hey, you know, I feel like you're challenging me a little bit here. Rather than say, sorry, we might draw a line and say, hey, well, that's your perspective. You do you, (laughs) I'll do me. Ever have that? Like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you are offended about that. I tell you what, you do you, I'll do me, right? And then if people do even apologize to us, sometimes we have such an intolerance for error in our culture. There's no space for reconciliation, so we just cancel them. Block them, unfriend them. And to understand why we find it so hard to deal with the concept of sorry, the concept of making amends, of U-turning, of switching to a different way of living, we have to understand a powerful, dominant, cultural narrative that is existent in our society today. And it's the cult of perfectionism. And it goes a little bit like this. This is what it looks like. There's nothing new about this. It goes like, like you can improve your life by working harder because your actions are going to influence the way your outcomes are. And so it's on you to make the world better around you and improve yourself. And therefore, when things don't go well, it is an indictment of your own failure. And therefore, we're afraid of it. We aspire to perfectionism. And to understand this, I want to go back 1,700 years to the writings of a monk called Pelagius. Pelagius was a British monk, and he founded a way of thinking that actually became what the church would call a heresy. That's a sort of perversion of Orthodox Christianity. Now, Now, Christians throughout history have believed the real simple thing about the doctrine of sin. In other words, like our falling short from God. And we would believe this in the Bible, In Romans, it says this, that all people, you and me, from Adam and Eve to the end of time, every person has fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all, what the Bible would say, sinners. Sin is not something that we do through the result of our actions. It's a condition, a state of being that we find ourselves in. We're born into a world where there's sin, we're fallen creatures, and there's nothing we can do on our own to remedy this. But Pelagius comes along, and he started thinking, well, maybe that's not right. Maybe sin is not a consequence of a condition, it's the consequence of our actions. It's the result of, of like, you do stuff that's wrong, and that is sin, and that's what causes sinfulness in your life. In a way, it's quite logical. You're like, oh yeah, I get that. People hurt people and then it causes offense and that's a breakdown, it's a brokenness, it's a sin. But he was like, no, rather than it being a condition that we're all born into, sin is actually something that we do as a result and our actions, we become sinful. And consequently, if you follow that through logically, it would follow that we could therefore do actions that would make us better that would result in us being less sinful. We could self-improve our lives out of sinfulness. We could have achieved perfection by relying on our own striving and our own energy. And the consequence of this heresy was that you could become sinless by striving to perfect yourself. And it proved wildly popular 1,700 years ago. Just as today, it's still wildly popular. And this is the thing. We live in this world where we think, well, no one goes to church. But 2,000 years, our whole paradigm as a culture has been based on the Judeo-Christian worldview. And that's to say all the truths, the laws, the foundations, the statutes of how life works and the dominant cultural forces, despite the enlightenment, despite all the things that have gone on, it's still grounded in this fundamentally Judeo-Christian worldview. And with that comes still a load of bugs in the system that are like heresies. So Pelagianism is alive and well today. We don't just talk about it being Pelagianism. We talk about it as being like self-improvement. Have you ever been to like a self-improvement section in the bookshop? Right? You know, you walk past, like, maybe it's a business section. Like, 10 ways to build your brand. Or maybe, like, how to close your rings on your. You have an Apple Watch, and mine, like, tells me the whole time how bad I am. Like, it is like my moral policeman. It says, you know, you've nearly closed your rings, Al. If you would just work a little bit harder, you might close your exercise rings. Or this, maybe you would, like, run. Anyone run a 10K in their life here? You know when you run a 10K at the end, you're like your you're running device you're will say, hey, you ran that 10K in like, in my case, like six hours and 36 minutes. Like maybe you could beat your personal best and run it in six hours. Or maybe you're thinking at the moment about getting beach body ready. I know I am, you know. <laughs> or like perfect abs in 40 days. Or, or be 10% braver. Or thinner, or richer, or fitter. Self-improvement has become this multi-billion dollar industry. And the church is not immune. You know, when I was preparing this talk this week, I was like, man, the repentance revolution. It's like such a like uh, title. I should call it like a hundred ways to maximize your spiritual potential. Or like how to choose Jesus for a better, happier, more attractive life. But the truth is, it just doesn't work like that. So I had, a, I had a hamster when I was like six years old. Um, anyone have a hamster as a pet? Oh, I love this hamster. I, it arrived for my sixth birthday. It was called Hammy the hamster. My parents let me name it. Very uncreative. I was like, what are you going to call it? Hammy the hamster. And it had a little cage and it had a wheel in the cage. And basically day one, I'm like, this is amazing. It's a little cuddly thing. And I was like, what does it do? And day one, I watched it. Day two, I came back. All it did was this. It got in the cage, I poke it, it woke up, it got into a little wheel that span round and round and round. You ever see that? It's like little paws running. It got on the wheel, was so excited about it being on the wheel. The the hamster was like running and his little legs are like running and he's looking at me like, I'm running in my wheel. It's the best thing ever. And he'd run and run and run and then eventually get tired and he'd sit down and go to sleep again. And I looked at this, I was like, this is the worst present in the world. Like this is the saddest thing. Like what is this guy doing? It's like he's running and running and running, but he's never going anywhere. Like he's achieving nothing with his life. He doesn't even realize it. He wakes up in the morning, gets on the wheel and he runs and he runs and he runs and and he's not going anywhere. Nothing is happening in Hammy's life. so the third day I decided I would release Hammy and I opened the door on the hamster cage. You know what's gonna happen, right? And Hammy wakes up and he's like, this is my moment all these days on the treadmill, preparing myself for this moment. And he's off out the cage. It was like the Shawshank Redemption. He's gone. And he runs across the floor of the room. I'm like, whoa, Hammy, I didn't know you could run so fast. And he's gone and he's gone under the sofa. And I was like, mom, Hammy's gone. We never saw Hammy again. He was gone. He took his moment, made his break for freedom. Still traumatized. I need like prayer for Hammy. I was never allowed a pet again. That was it. (laughs) I wonder how many of us are like trapped on the hamster wheel of self-improvement. You know, we think of spirituality as like bettering our souls, a pathway to enlightenment. And we replace the traditional mirror of like self-examination with like the false mirror of our social media feeds in the hope that somehow we'll build a better life for ourselves. Our influencers have become the new disciples. We're like, wow. Our celebrities have become the new priests. Our coaches have become the new prophets. But the truth is, we are in danger of trading discipleship for self-improvement. And in the end, we're just left feeling exhausted feeling disappointment, feeling like we're running and running and running, but not getting anywhere in our lives. Sometimes we run to like experiences, but the drugs don't work. They only make things worse. Sometimes we run into the arms of another, like relationship, somehow we're gonna fill that hole in the hope that, that somehow if I'm needed, maybe that will validate me as a human being. This is how Marianne, the lead character in Sally Rooney's novel, Normal People, puts it. She says this, no one can be independent of other people completely. So why not give up the attempt, she thought, and go running in the other direction and depend on people for everything. But the truth is, whatever we run to, alone can't improve us. Others can't improve us. Maybe you're dating someone and you thought when you met them, hey, if I date them, maybe I'll help change them. I could fix them up. You ever had a relationship like that? It doesn't work. And it's often that we forget our own brokenness, our own fallenness, our own sinfulness, what the Bible calls, is not like a behavior that you need to improve on. Like your report, you remember, could try harder? It's actually a condition that we need saving from and here's the good news Jesus wants to liberate you from the hamster cage of your life so that you can run with purpose the race marked out for you so that you can follow him and the secret to this, the, the, the kind of the door on the hamster cage is the life lived in a place of repentance repentance is a secret weapon in the life of the soul and putting a trust not in like human effort or or, or like pelagianism or self-improvement or perfectionism instead literally learning to live a life that is constantly turning and returning back to the source of hope and forgiveness Jesus in fact it's so important to God That when you start to read the theme of repentance in the New Testament, you'll find that all the way through, God begins by saying, repent. He needs you and I to hear this, maybe tonight. I mean, look with me. Start with John the Baptist who announces Jesus coming. Matthew 3, verse 2. He says, he begins his first sermon. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Starts with like opening joke. Hey, everybody, repent. And then Jesus arrives, and the first thing Jesus says when he stands up and preaches in Matthew 4, verse 17, his first sermon, is this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you get there's a theme happening here? Fast forward to Peter, in the day of, after the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, verse 38, in his first sermon, he says this, repent and be baptised. You see, God is trying to say something to us that's powerful, that's revolutionary, that's liberating. It's what the German pastor Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by the Nazis, said this, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them to come and die. In other words, we're not called to self-improve our lives. We're called to lose our lives, to lay them down on the altar of sacrifice. And it's only when we lay our lives down that we truly understand the message of Jesus. Bonhoeffer continues, says this, the community of saints is not an ideal community consisting of perfect and sinless men and women where there's no need of further repentance. No, it is a community which proves that it is worthy of the gospel of forgiveness by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness. So here's the deal, God loves you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be free of guilt and shame to experience his love, to be free of the cult of perfectionism, to enjoy life in all its fullness. But to do that, a little revolution has to happen in your life. What's a revolution? It's when you overthrow a dominant system in order to effect change. So in your life today, I wonder if God might be calling you to get the repentance bug again. Because when we do that, what begins to happen is it's revolutionary. It changes the way we operate as a human being. It's actually God's plan for us from the beginning. In fact, the passage that that Temi just read for us from Acts chapter 3, verse 19, is Peter's second sermon in the Bible. And again, he gets all the way through this amazing story. He's healed this person. God's done amazing things and crowds are gathering. And he thinks, i got the microphone. So he stands up and again, the message is this, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And the analogy, the word in the Greek there is the word that you would use for wiping clean a papyrus. In those days, they didn't use paper. They would use papyrus, which was like a a kind of manuscript. And you'd write on it in ink that didn't have acid in it, so it wouldn't pierce the surface of the papyrus. And what would happen, the ink would dry and you'd be able to keep that ink on the papyrus until you got a wet sponge and you'd wet the sponge and you'd wipe the papyrus and the ink would come off and you'd be able to start again and reuse the papyrus so think of it like a whiteboard when you write on a whiteboard you get the marker out and you you kind of write and then at the end of the day you wipe it with the whiteboard and there's nothing left on the whiteboard what Peter is saying is that when you repent your sins are literally wiped out it's select all and delete in your life And I wonder for you today, what are the things that you just feel are holding you back? The things that cause you shame and pain and separation and cost you your intimacy with God, that make you like lose your first love and your passion or your purpose and your sense of joy and calling. I wonder what it is for you. You know, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a, a struggle like pornography that, that that you're really ashamed about but you can't break the cycle of going over and over the same thing. Maybe it's drinking to excess. You're like, yeah, to have fun, I've just got to put on party face. And you fill that void and you think, well, I'm only going to be popular if I go large. So let's buy a round just for me. Or maybe it's like, The worship of material things, like if I buy this thing or aspire to that, if I live a love island lifestyle, then I will be perfect. Maybe it's trading that call to walking in obedience and celibacy and faithfulness for promiscuity and the shame and the dysfunction and the the dishonor that that brings you. You know, deep down inside, you're like, "I'm, I'm better than that. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I have nothing on this. I mean, I'm good. I'm like, I'm not feeling any of that stuff out. <laughs> maybe it's pride. <laughs> maybe we're like, ah, you know what? Sorry, not sorry. You do you, Jesus, I'll do me. Maybe it's self-sufficiency. But here's the good news: God knows you. He loves you. Sure, the devil knows you. The devil. Knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Anger, addict, adulterer, liar, lustful, loser. The devil knows your name, but chooses to call you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he chooses to call you by your name. He says, You're my child, you're my beloved. You're better than that. You can be free of that. You've got a destiny. You've got a calling. You've got a purpose. Since the beginning of time, I have planned and purposed for you to grow and flourish and become more than a conqueror. You don't have to be trapped in a cycle of sin your whole life. And it's at the cross that God does this. That's why we have a cross behind us in church. Because it's the cross that stands above every one of our sins and hang-ups and failures. It's at the cross that God takes all the story of human failure from Adam and Eve in the garden through to our last breath and our last disobedience. All of that is laid on Jesus at the cross. And so the bill is already paid. When you put your trust in him, When you believe in him, the Bible tells us when we believe in him, we literally give our life to him. He gives his life to us. Jesus dies on that cross. You die on that cross. When Jesus rises from the dead, you rise from the dead. And now when you put your trust in him, Christ lives in you and all bets are off. All things are possible. That's why Paul says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. In other words... Repent, turn, and you'll find that not only do you get set free, but rather than lose, you win. You gain God's life rather than like lose your freedom. And it continues, verse 19. When you repent, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a fascinating idea. Peter stands up and says, hey, if you turn your life towards God, it's not only like you're going like, to like wipe the slate clean, but you're going to find that times of refreshing are going to come from the Lord. It's like when we make our hearts right with God. God comes and fills that space in our life with his love and his power and his Holy Spirit. And that is so refreshing. It's the source of joy and freedom and life. And honestly, there's nothing better than feeling like you're being loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That love is inside you, empowering you and filling you and changing. It's better than any drug. It's better than any relationship. It's the most dynamic creative force in the universe. Amen. Let me tell you about the time I went to my first Bible study. I sat down. I'd become a Christian a few weeks before, and I uh, it was outside in this garden, this house, and everyone had Bibles. I, I got my Bible. I got a new Bible, and I got it out. It was great. I got it out, and I sat down. Everyone got their Bibles out. Everyone else got a pen out. I started rolling a joint. I was like, hey, it's Bible study time. I turn my Bible sideways. Great like, like slit in the middle where you can put your Rizzler. And I was like, this is perfect. Here we go. I was like, I had no idea that was not a cool thing to do at a Bible study. Just turn up and like start rolling a joint. All the Christians were like, what? What are you doing? And I was like, hey, Bible study is chill time. And they're like, have you read the Bible? I was like, yeah, I'm in Genesis. The earth is the Lord and everything's in it. You know, it's, it's great. Like, that's fine. So I'm sitting there and they were so nice. They were like, hey, you know, Jesus just loves you, Al. You do you. And I think they kind of switched the Bible study out. They're sitting there skinning up this big joint, sitting there with these guys. I've been a Christian for just like a few weeks and I'm 18 years old. And they said to me, um, hey, you know, I wonder if we might do a little Bible study on, on like your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. So they're like, yeah, you know, it's how God's designed you as a human being to, to be someone which God lives in by his Holy Spirit. I'm like, that's crazy. And then they went to Ephesians and they were like, hey, you know what, not only that, but God wants to fill you with like a peace and a joy and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Life, love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I was like, wow. And they said, not only that, but the way that happens in your life is that God fills you with the Holy Spirit and it starts to like do what no drug could ever do i'm like no way ephesians they go ephesians like hey here's the thing don't get drunk on wine get filled with the holy spirit in other words don't get high get holy and i'm like what this is so much freer and cheaper than going out and buying a bag of hash and i'm sitting there thinking this is crazy hash in the 90s by the way some of you are having your best night in church right now And so I'm there and I'm like, I had no idea. No one had ever told me that there was something better than what the world could give you. Maybe you're in that position tonight. And I remember sitting there and just thinking, oh Lord, I'm really sorry. I don't want to abuse this body you've given me this temple, the Holy Spirit. I want you to fill me and help me live for you. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit began to film me, and I found myself, I was like, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I rolled this enormous joint, I threw it in the bush in that garden. That night there was a squirrel in West London getting extremely high, having his best knife, like, ever. God wants you and I, some of you are, like, in deep shock right now, that analogy. It's okay, we're going to pray in a minute. God wants you to experience his power tonight. God wants you to be filled, whether you're watching this at home online or you're in the room tonight, not with the culture, striving for perfectionism, not trying to perfect your soul, but to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. You know, God God is so passionate about your life. He cares so much about you that he doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants to come in and fill you and help you so that you might become what Paul writes about in Romans, a more than a conqueror. And you know, I genuinely believe when we do this stuff, we come back and we say, God, would you help me live for you? Even though we struggle and we're going to keep struggling till we stand face to face at the end of time with God, we can do it when we come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you help me begin again? Lord, I'm sorry, I'm here again. Would you help me begin again? Lord, I'm just so sorry. I repent of all that stuff. And what happens is gradually over time, the power of the Holy Spirit keeps refreshing you, keeps bringing freedom that you don't have to look to the left and the right. You can just keep looking up and God will do extraordinary things in your life. Your repentance leads to reconciliation forgiven people forgive people you're going to see your relationships transformed repentance leads to personal renewal if you want to grow more in the things of God start by saying sorry and you're going to find that God will fill you over and over with his Holy Spirit and his power as he did on the first Pentecost when the disciples were on their knees on their faces crying out to God when we begin to live a life of repentance and position ourselves in a way that we walk in holiness and obedience to God what we find is the power of God comes and it brings freedom and revival in the world around us and you know, friends I believe tonight God would want us again to come and I'm really sorry if you came for like a feel-good message tonight but this is a better than feel-good message this is a life transforming moment for you if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I try and walk through my Christian faith going around the same patterns over and over again. Let me tell you this tonight, Jesus wants to make something powerful happen in your life. And it will start when we say sorry. So I want to invite you to just take a moment right now. And wherever you are in the room or online, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We're just going to be still, we're going to close our eyes. And I'm going to invite you to to bring to the Lord your conscience, your life right now. And there might be things in your life you're like, I'm not sure this is right. Maybe it's an addiction. It's a struggle you have. Maybe it's a moment where you've tried and tried and tried, but you can't break out of it. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's something where you, you feel like you really need God's help. And maybe you're here and you're just longing for refreshing. You feel dry. As Peter says, the times of refreshing will come on you. That's what the Lord might want to do in your life tonight. So what I'm going to ask that we do with our eyes closed and you can join us online as well if you're doing this at home is is in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you're here tonight and you're like, I want to make a new beginning. No one's going to ask you what your sins are. I've got plenty. We'd take all night before we'd have time to talk about them all. But in this moment, if we want to mark a new beginning with God and take a stand, literally, and say, Lord, I want to turn my life again to the fullness of following you. Then right now, wherever you are, if you're at home watching this, would you stand with me? Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna give it a moment more. Maybe you're here tonight. You're like, you know, I I just need hope. The word I have is hope. And maybe there's someone here watching online tonight and you're like, I need hope. Well, the message of Jesus is for you. Turn to God. The kingdom of God will come. Times of refreshing will come on you. Don't delay. Right now, God wants to minister to you. So calm, Holy Spirit, right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're moving in this place. What do we ask that we do, just as we stay standing, those who are standing, we're going to um, say the words of the confession together. And this is liturgy that Church of England churches will say all across the land today, and they'll say it in traditional services as well as informal services. But these are powerful words. And maybe you've got something on your heart. You're like, I- I'm just so proud. I don't know where to begin. Or maybe you feel like, I'm so tired. God, I- I've given up. I've compromised in all these areas of my life. As we pray this prayer, it's powerful. It's like the spiritual reset button, and I'm going to pray this, and we're going to pray this for each other, and pray this over ourselves. And then I'm going to pray an absolution. That's like the pronouncement that you are free from your sins. There's nothing you can do to earn this. God has already said this. We're going to confirm this tonight. And so, why don't we pray? These words are going to appear on the screens together. They begin, "Almighty God." And we're going to say this out loud together. And if you're here and you're like, I want to be free, say these words together. As they come up on the screens, we'll have the words at the beginning: Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. Here we go. We're going to say this together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate thought, we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name, amen. And here's the absolution, almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent. That's you tonight. Have mercy upon you. Pardon and deliver you from all your sins confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in this life eternal through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. And all God's people said, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.